Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 171st episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. And this month's theme is all about intersectionality and disability. And to join me in talking about this in greater detail this week, I'm joined by Martin Griffin. Martin is a UK-based senior mining geotechnical engineer. He's a chartered engineer and chartered geologist and works for the international multidisciplinary niche consultancy Knight Paysold in their London office. He identifies as neurodivergent, autistic, dyslexic, and dyspraxic, and is registered as disabled by being visually impaired. Presently, he specializes in minding and ground risk and uncertainty. He works on geotechnical engineering aspects of an international mining project from concept to closure. He's also been involved in ground engineering teams for several UK civil engineering mega projects. Currently, Martin is serving as an elected Geological Society Council member and former committee member of several other national executives in the geotechnical arena. He is a Geological Society scrutineer for chartership candidates, Kera Tikonis UK charity trustee, international journal peer reviewer for several technical and specialist journals, STEM ambassador to local secondary schools, and a ground forum stroke steer S. T-E-E-R mentor for underrepresented groups. Martin has been a lay EDI champion and advocate since 2013 in the geoscience and engineering sectors for underrepresented groups, acting as an advisor, mentor, and is frequent LinkedIn blogger on all aspects of EDI, disability, and neurodiversity. We're really excited to have him here today to talk more about what workplaces can do to move from awareness to acceptance to action. So Martin, a huge welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much for welcoming to your show. So we were talking earlier about, you know, the term geotechnical engineer. I've just read out your bio and I think it might be good for maybe you to tell listeners what a geotechnical engineer is and what they do and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Okay. To be an engineer is someone who identifies or detects a problem and then we find out proper solutions. So I work with ground, the ground fruits and soils and rocks to see if, how the soils and what behave. So we, we do foundations and such like. And, but I'm working on sort of mining, national mining projects, so for dams and for, for containing of mine waste. So for everything in your mobile phone, there's about a million tonnes of waste associated with that. I help design those in a safe manner. And, and then I'm also a geologist, so I sort of look at the geology and sort of, like, sort of characterise the, the project sites for the mine as well. It's a bit of... So this interaction between geology and engineering to come up with proper solutions for clients. I think it's so important at the moment. I mean, you just talked about mobile phones and the amount of waste it produces. And it makes me think about electric cars. And again, people say it's cleaner, but it actually is it when we think about these car batteries and what goes into making them sustainable. So, yeah, really interesting. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, actually. It's that sort of that balance between we want to grow as a, we, we grow as a society, but we don't want to have that environmental waste. But we have to, I think, as a society, we have to be mature enough to say, we want our phone, we want our electric cars to live. But we but we still need to deal with the base and we have to deal with what we're going to do with the metals or we want the metals and, and do it in an environmentally friendly way. And, and that's and I th- I'm hoping to, I'm working on at the moment. 
I'm, work, I'm working on web consultancy. We're a niche consultancy in London doing this sort of specific solutions for clients. Yeah, it's fascinating work. And um, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It just goes to show how interlinked everything is. And, you know, we're, we're talking about intersectionality and disability this month. And I think having your perspectives and the way that you maybe think differently from someone quote unquote neurotypically neurotypical and I don't like that term but it's the one we're using it's not ideal we know that um I think presents a really unique way in which we can see these um problem you you see the problems and you can also see different solutions or solutions that perhaps mainstream wouldn't necessarily see yep it's a bit of a hang up when you do risk management because I do a lot of risk management you can see the trade-offs between the advantages and the pros and then people say to me, come up on one decision, which is the best. And part of my autism, I sort of, I have to ruminate for about five hours or five days or something on a solution. And I haven't got time to do that. But then, so it even comes down to the cost or the time or the, the best performance of the option. And, but, and hopefully that is an engineer's considered judgment as well as my own personal Well, it is an engineering judgment rather than my own preferences. And it's difficult, that term, the best, because what does the best really mean? And I think we're quite fixated with it in Western culture, um, because as you've, I think, really helpfully hinted at, is actually there's best in different contexts, and then you need time to review that. So, yeah, what I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you get, you know, uh, the, the clients and people to understand that? We have this, uh, we're not going too technical, we have a sort of a, we have a criteria that we go through of all of these items and then we weight each of them against a sort of other factors like environmental political factors and then we hopefully come up with the best solution for them so yeah it's it, a very evidence-based engineering yeah. approach there you, yeah. sometimes, <laughs> you know something we don't want something in our own backyard but then but we still want the metals we still want the but then a country like in Ghana, they don't want a gold mine next door to them, but we may want the gold from them, their country. So it's, but then we, if we do it in a good way, we can train people to do best practices as well. So it's working in a responsible way and working with the clients, not working against them and working with local people as well as well, not being colonial as well. And that's another form of intersectionality and it's, it's also just working through solutions and trying to get the best. It's just not, it's not just all number crunching. It's that holistic approach. And I think it's really helpful that you've mentioned the colonial aspect about, you know, we in the West want these batteries and we, we know that the gold is not, Generally, I mean, there's very, very little. There's some gold, isn't there, in Scotland? Very little, but not enough to sustain what we need to do um, or we want to do. So, yeah, thank you for for mentioning that as well. And and on that point about inclusivity, thinking about UK workplaces, what does the term inclusive workplace in relation to disability mean to you? What does that look like? Okay, with myself being autistic, dyslexic, and dyspraxic and visually impaired, I think it means that you can be authentic. So you don't have to work it, work doubly hard to be doing a normal day, day-to-day job because I think we have enough struggles as it ends. Like, like yesterday, I had a, got out of the office at seven, no, sorry, at five, and I got home by eight o'clock because of public transport being absolutely rubbish because I got off the train at 6.30 and then I waited one and a half hours for a bus to get home. 
for a 60 hour 60 minute journey and I thought that just to me that's not the workplace but with workplaces all our adjustments should be in place and we shouldn't have to fight for them that really hacks me off and people say to me oh I haven't got my adjustments well I mean I've struggled enough times in the past with getting adjustments but my new employer that within a week we had all my adjustments my text to speech software and now every week I have a weekly catch up with my line manager more like a psychiatrist chair sort of saying what's what's going on but I find that really hard because it's going deep down into me but it takes time and trust with your time line manager to talk what you need and why something's not working why you can't do something why you're good at something because I don't know why I'm good at something I just know it's my autism or my dyslexia and it's it's for, almost for them to recognize them in you because sometimes we don't recognize it in ourselves that yeah it makes complete sense and it's so true and I I know from providing support and conversations to disabled staff um that that's absolutely the case but I think one of the one of the difficulties is and I have a really big bugbear about this so for example I I wonder why you know my generation we didn't we didn't learn BSL as one example at school so you could you, you have your modern foreign language and you have BSL or in fact and then maybe you want to learn another sign language for example and that would just mean that all of us would have a very basic level of signing. So people who are signing, part of the deaf community or the wider deaf community, capital D, small d, um, we, would be, we wouldn't feel as isolated potentially, right? Yeah. So in the workplace, I'm just thinking about, Martin, you know, if someone doesn't know, um, it, so it's a balance, isn't it? Because in order to declare or um, um, disclose your disability, and it might be a case of disclosure, you feel like you're telling a secret, yeah. There needs to be this environment of trust and also people who are not currently disabled from the non-disabled part of society at the moment and often don't really understand what this means they don't really know what adjustments are so yeah so how do you get to the point where yeah where people can ask the question in an appropriate manner because we don't need people to divulge medical information but we do need to know what they need i would always say someone should get diagnosed officially rather than sort of saying I'm self-diagnosed because I think that doesn't cut, cut, carry as much weight. If you, anything goes belly up or pear-shaped, you, you've got an official document. And from that official diagnosis, you get a work needs assessment, and that will tell you by an, an expert, or you'd hope it would be an expert, who tells you what adjustments you need. And I think there's other things you can do, like... What I've highlighted in the past is accessibility passports. So you can bring in your work needs assessment into that. Your employer can get it, and that goes around with you, with your boss or your project managers. You don't have to keep on repeating the same mantra or the same thing about your disability or your autism again and again and again, which is so tiring and draining. You can get it reviewed every year with your line manager. And then you're talking about your conditions. They can see it. They can ask you when they're ready to talk about it. That, that seems to work well. And that it hasn't been really introduced a lot as much. We introduced that in the last company and they were really happy with that. We've just introduced that in a new company. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the, I absolutely, I do agree with you around the um, getting a diagnosis. The challenge is, of course, if usually as adults, if you're an adult and you can, um, you know, you've got a job, you've had a job for many years and you think you've got autism, that process to get a diagnosis as an adult is pretty arduous. Yeah, so, yeah I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, because I, I know a lot of particularly women who... Yeah. 
no yeah whoever yeah but they just they are spending three four years getting a diagnosis as an adult yeah patience i think i know it's not a very good answer because we will wait for equality or picking out the box there must be some sort of charity we could there's some sort we could set up some someone could set up a charity to help people but get the funding and get these assessments done quicker unless you did that aq test online and say you're self-diagnosed till you know otherwise or bad you GP, it's very that's the thing. And and often GP it depends on the I'm not I'm not being negative about GPs, I'm not being no. negative about the NHS, but again, it will depend on the area, what the interest is, whether the practice are putting this forward, yes. whether they've done the training. Um, and also with if we think about cost of living and everything else, it you know it's very pricey. Many people can't afford to go privately. So I just wondered yeah, if you'd had any thoughts. And then also that. people mask because they don't want they fear the rep the the repercussions of saying they're autistic or dyslexic because they think their employers are going to treat them less favorably they're not going to get promoted and it's and they've got so far in their career they don't want that to jeopardize their career so i understand that but then i i get saddened when i see lack of role models in like engineering particularly and geology and construction when people seem to be ashamed to be, not ashamed but If we want proper representation from people in society and make decisions in, or be the helping the decision making to get to that place, if we're not, if people are speaking to about us in the third person, and that really hacks me off when people are talking about us and not involving us in this decision making. Well, it's the classic phrase, isn't it? Nothing about us without yeah. us. Yeah, I keep finding that on LinkedIn a lot. Just. To <sighs> People look at me, so then you have to do an explanation. Well, that means to people, I think, oh, no. Just <laughs> yeah. And so what do you think the biggest challenges are for workplaces moving in from awareness? It's great to have some awareness training. Um, but, you know, you've mentioned uh, it's, whether it's dyslexia, autism, visual impairment. But then what about the acceptance and, and being anticipatory rather than waiting and yeah. being reactive and someone waiting five months for their adjustments? I think it's giving us opportunities to show that we can not be like everyone else because we're never because we are different because i know i was different since i was built so it's really young and i didn't fit in and and i think but i think training has to be given to every line manager and not just from top down leadership because you can get leadership talking top down to us but then it's got to come trickle up as well i think it's got to be something where in the middle Yes. So it's so it's about the awareness, but it's also about you've got to do the work. You've got to have the conversation and create that atmosphere of trust. So these conversations can be had. And I think, you know, people, you know, like employee resource groups, they're really powerful. We tried to set one up with our company. We've set piloted all that. That was how, that went really well. But that that still needs senior leadership buy in. They else you're just running out. You're just a self-advocate, tired, exhausted, EDI, or champion or advocate on autism, and that gets so tiring. Yeah, and if and if we go back to intersectionality, of course, you've got your lived experience of autism, but that's not necessarily going to be identical to a colleague's or someone else's. Mostly, there's that saying, isn't there? You've met one person with autism, you've only met one person with autism, and it's so true because. Because also you're not just, you know, no one is their, no one is their autism. You are a whole person with a personality yes. and you have autism, which 
again, everyone has a different, um, I, you know, I always say certain elements will be dialed up, dialed down, and that is your profile, but with your yeah. personality and your lived experience and your culture and everything else yeah. around it. Your, um, your, your spiky profile, maybe the same, yeah. but your culture setting, you know, it comes yeah. back to culture again. Yeah, absolutely. And so what do you think workplaces can do to create an accessibility and usability mindset? So you've talked about buying from senior leaders but and meeting in the middle, but how can we have this across an organisation? We're, we're thinking utopia here. Yeah, I, I think from the get-go, when you have an accessible website, you know, it has to start from the whole life employee cycle, from, from recruitment, to when someone departs from that company, you can't just say, I want an inclusive company and have inclusive uh, work procedures. But then if you've got a if you've got hidden walls or glass ceilings that no one can achieve, it has to come from that inclusive if when you're screening for newer typical candidates, that's a horrible word as well. But <laughs> we're full of them, aren't we? But sorry, but if you if you're screening newer typical people that are inclusive of one another. Then surely they should be more accepting of us, and or but then then, then I feel patronised when people say, "Oh, my daughter's autistic." Yeah, I know how you feel. No, you I mean, don't. Your daughter's going to have a far better advantage than us because we're pioneering the way forward for it. Than that. As long as I'm not trying to be big-headed, but they're yeah, sorry. Huh? But I think it goes back to that point, doesn't it? That. I think if people said my daughter's autistic, so I'm aware of some of the challenges, but I'd really like to hear things that yeah, yes. maybe you experience so we can eliminate some barriers. That's that's and I think yeah. that often you get it in I the race space. Big, people yeah. say, Oh, it's well meaning, but actually it's very irritating. And I don't know what it's like to be you, Martin, but I do know it from the cultural race perspective. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But I think I think, yeah, like basically what barriers do you see? But sometimes we don't know the barriers because we just know work is bloody oh sorry, very hard to get through. Or, we, or promotions, for example, we don't know how promotion systems work. Yeah. Till we don't get promoted, or we get misappraised, or something. Yes. Yeah. And then we have to talk to our line manager, have a meltdown, and they say, "Oh, why didn't you say that?" But then, then, then that revises that system, and then, it, and I don't. Or like, it's uh, professional bodies and institutes, if they don't recognise neurodiversity in their systems, then how are they going to attract more diverse candidates to get chartered? And that's the sort of thing I'm challenging at the moment as well. So it's looking at the single points of failure within the system, isn't it? So looking at um, accessibility, usability and barriers and getting a broad perspective on that. Um, yeah. So because people might not know, as you rightly said, they might not know the barriers. Some, some you know, some you'll think, oh, sugar, that does put me at a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's that, isn't it? It's that critical... It's that critical input and appraisal on what this, the system that's taken as read and quote unquote normal. And what's good for us is normally good for a neurotypical person in in general sense. And we're not being until rude when we say this is wrong. I know because all because as autistic people generally we don't lie. I mean, I said to my boss, I can lie. You, you know, a typical autistic person is not is totally honest, and that's what you read in the literature. Notice it versus 100% honest all the time. But I joke with my boss, I can still lie to him if I want. Or, or, or I, can, I do know the difference between a lie, but sometimes I won't understand the minute size of that. 
yeah that's 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 a really good point actually because again um i saw something really i don't know if it was on your linkedin actually martin but have you seen that um you know the signs of neurotypical people they tell like you know and it's like the meat the 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 infographics you get around autism but summarizing you know non-neurodivergent but yeah non-neurodivergent people um so yeah so it's not this cliche yet there might be certain attributes but you've got to talk to the person in front of you um it's like when people say or oh, with the literature or oh, the literature or the, the information about autism and say you should be rubbish at communication and social interactions. I mean, I've had to work at my communication skills and social interactions because I do this year I've done about seven presentations in different groups, but I've had to just keep on working at them. This is my fourth, I think, my fourth podcast of the year, raising awareness. But it's just something my wife says, says to me in jokes. I think she's being serious sometimes. She says, you're an extrovert. And I said, no, I'm an introvert. I want to just hide away from people, really. But awareness and acceptance is by going out there and being, I wouldn't say being brave. We just have to be vulnerable and just mm. accept our conditions for what they are and be genuine and be real. I think it's harder to take off a mask once it's on for about 50 years, in my case, and if it, yeah. If I've lived with this all my life, if I'm going to continue to hide it, what's the, yeah. I haven't lived in it since I've been born, but, and that's caused me a lot of problems in the workplace, I think, people have misunderstood it and, and not being a typical engineer or principal geologist and then, I don't know what typical looks like. Yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? And I think this is the problem. This is why we don't, you were saying, you know, the chartered, getting the chartered accreditations for engineers, geotechnical engineers, you know, you want people from all walks of life to be in the space. It's not really happening because of exactly the point I think you've just made. Well, thank you so much, Martin. And I I want to know, you know, as an incredibly busy professional and doing this campaigning and awareness raising work, how do you look after your own mental health? What are your top three tips that you'd like to share with listeners? I just so if you bear with me, yeah, yeah, of course, okay. yeah. I was thinking about this one. I couldn't give a bit. This maybe sounds stereotypical. First one, sleep and rest and recover, because I think we our brain overworks, our body doesn't overwork, but we just think too much, and then we have so many things like ruminating. Sleep is so important to recover. Secondly, do something you really enjoy. Not, not just make maybe it's just special interest, but, but I like spreadsheets, so I do. And I love football, so I have a football spreadsheet every week, going on about predicting the scores and putting all the stats in and trying to model the results and such like. That's the sort of thing I love doing, just to relax. And then I was thinking, what else? People, pe- people are so important to me, and I'm doing this presentation. I'm doing at Christmas. I've sort of sort of tried to. Why is, well, this is one of the slides I'm doing. And it's sort of six external influences to try to bond to better. So immediate family, so that's your wife, your husband, or your children. Then your work colleagues, so people you work with in the immediate workplace. Professional colleagues, people in your same sector. Your larger family, like your grandparents or your mum and dads. Online strangers like yourself, like I've never met you before, but you're now a friends so you're not you're not an online stranger but you're a professional co- oh, i would say a professional colleague or something and then diverse voices people that i've never would have met before that online that you just like a comment and then you just sort of connect with them so you and then i was thinking contrary to that there's people i wouldn't want to meet if that or try to avoid because they could be harmful to us so if you don't mind me sharing these six people 
little guys, people who know a little about autism, but they don't because they just want to mingle with us and play around with us. Gatekeepers telling us, putting walls up for us. Costers, people are putting barriers and charging money towards us. White knights are trying to fix us. Micromanagers, people are managing us and our time and managing everything we do. And those loud influencers on social media telling us, oh, this is what happened to me so successfully and not talking about their failing. Or their failings are so big and then they're showing off about their failures in such a way that and they got happy stories in the end, all to the end. That way. Without mentioning names, but there's some people. I, think. I know some other colleagues who um, are dyslexic, and they feel very similarly about um, the influences that you're mentioning. So yes, Martin, it makes absolute sense to me. Like the cost of, you know, as you said, the cost of diagnosis or people cost charging out for courses, and it's. I don't think we should have to pay for our to attend something like that because we're autistic. If we're not a if we're not a academic or we're not a EDI specialists, we still have to pay for these things, but we're, we've got the lived experience and we can't go to these things as much. Yeah. Or what provision is there in the workplace to have a funding pot for people to attend these things if they are in work? And then if they're not in work, what I, are the I provisions? I that about funding pot, but I could yeah. get funding pots perhaps for a technical conference. Yeah. Even as an EDI champion, I'd advocate sector lead, because I'm seen as ground engineering sector lead in the UK, essentially. Or I've been told that by peers, so it's quite challenging to be thought of that. But there's no, I can't get on in any EDI course easily enough to do that. Mm. But I want to move, hopefully, like to move into the EDI space and okay, to do something with in an engineering consultancy one day, maybe, and do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? So what's prioritised and what's seen as in, more important? Um, but and this is often what happens. They're always lacking soft skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, how many engineers do you know that have emotional intelligence? And that's lacking. And spending time, and that comes down to what, how workplace can And you can't train people in emotional intelligence. You can't go on a course. You can go on a course, but it doesn't actually give you that broad way those broad shoulders of experience that have to have that almost like pastoral heart because engineers aren't pastoral they've got they're rigid and they think numbers they think something's got to be done quantitative everything has to be done to a time everything has to, everything has to work into our model perfectly but people aren't like that people are messy <laughs> I have to say, though, I did love working with engineers because they'd be like, right, tell me how to solve it and I'll do it. And I'd be like, yay. Um, so I often found that engineers were the department that I could get on side quite easily. And they would they would say, right, let's solve this later. Tell us what to do. So I, I totally hear you. But I also think there's a real appetite with engineers to get it sorted. Yeah, yeah. my wife <laughs> called me a fix it. You know, yeah. the, the white knight kind. If she's got a headache or something, I say, oh, I try to list all the symptoms and then try to fix it. But that may be my male side as well. I've been told that's my male. There's a bit of that, and I think as an engineer, I want. But then, hopefully, I have a bit of emotion intelligence with my wife and empathy. That, and that's something autism. We get told, "Oh, you don't have empathy," but we show in different ways. It may mean not immediately, but we can come back. To so, really, no, no, don't put it. Really interesting. I loved your six positive connectors and six people types of people that you don't want to connect with. That's very interesting. So, and I think also, I think we can you know, with ourselves, we can have our head in the sand mm. to ignore those sort of people. Right, okay. Jack-in-the-box people. Mm -hmm. People just pop up and then can't avoid. 
great idea about autism to solve it in the workplace, but then it's not going to be one answer. It's going to your yeah. answer may be different from where you are. Yeah. And it has to, you've got to get a tailor-made solution to everyone. That's the thing. I don't think it's about solving it, is it? I think it's about creating systems that enable this individuality and expression. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. that new British guide, British standards past documents about accessibility. I, I don't think I've seen that. Yeah. New diversity in the workplace, and it talks about all adjustments that you can do. And it's okay. It's past six four six three. Okay. And it's all talking about, you know, say lighting sound and yeah best practices that you can do you know not that it would help us to read a document quicker or process the information quicker, but make it be good for everyone i think yeah that, that's 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 true and i don't think there's a lack of information out there so um, yeah there i mean there is so if people want to know more about your work martin how should they contact you how do you like to keep in touch with people you can um, contact me on linkedin yeah linkedin or you can pass the link on to people. Yeah, I'll include it in the show notes, absolutely. So LinkedIn is the best platform for you. No, no, I generally don't reject people, but unless it's people I really dislike. To fall in the six it, categories, yeah. <laughs> but I think those people won't be listening to this in the first place, I think. So thank you so much for this really insightful conversation, for being really open and, you know, great uh, deep conversation and insights into autism, dyslexia and visual impairment. Um, and thank you so much for your time, Martin, and kicking off as a guest for Intersectionality and Disability. Okay, thank you very much. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.